We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Rippy Writes with Brian Scott. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up on a Tuesday? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Rights Podcast powered by Twisted Tea. Today we have our weekly SEC football conversation with Weldon Rodenberg. A little bit uh, or a day later, I should say, as we uh, regrouped after Ole Miss's Monday press conference, talked about the weekend uh, games last week, as well as previewing the Rebels second half of the season, a very important road test at Auburn, a potential Jordan Watkins injury and a whole lot more. So buckle up. I think you'll enjoy the conversation. But before we get to that, I wanted to take a quick break to remind you. This podcast is brought to you by C Spire. Time to upgrade your home internet to the best service in the market with C Spire Home Fiber. The past few years have proven how important it is to have reliable home internet connection for you and your family. That's why C Spire Home provides the most reliable internet service with 99.99% uptime. C Spire also prides themselves with best customer service in the home internet market. Their customer service is award-winning, local, based out of the Southeast with industry low call wait time. Ceasefire provides one gigabit and 300 megabit internet packages to homes across Mississippi, Birmingham, and Southern Alabama regions. Ceasefire is also proud to announce the release of their brand new two gigabit and eight gigabit home internet plans. Save yourself the hassle by not waiting for your internet connection to drop with the other guys. Call or go online to ceasefire.com slash home today and use promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E, and you'll get one month of free service. So you get a free month of internet service and the best internet service in the market just for listening to this podcast. How about that? Check them out. Seaspire customer inspired. This podcast is also brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked that the world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. If you're a Skybox member, you went 11 and 4 on NFL picks over the weekend, plus 8.5 units. Some of you out there who didn't use Skybox probably hurting in the wallet, probably hurting in the old Venmo account, having to pay the man. You should sign up to Skybox Sports Picks today. Go online, find a picks package within your price range. You can try it for a day, a week, a month. You can try NFL. You can try college. You can try all the sports. I recommend going with the year-long all-access pass because you will make every year a profitable one with Skybox. You don't want to lose money this football season. Maybe we're a month and a half into this. Maybe you're already in a little bit of a hole. Use Skybox to help you pull out of it. They are the professionals. They're Picks are based on data and modeling, not leans five minutes before kickoff. They'll send you picks in a nice color-coded spreadsheet, and boom, you're more equipped to profit than you were before signing up for Skybox. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Use the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E, and that'll get you 20% off any purchase. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. 
All right, here's Weldon. All right, we now welcome on former Ole Miss recruiting specialist or P-Rights football correspondent Weldon Rodenberg. It is the bi-week edition or post-bye week, I should say, as we coming at you here on a Monday evening. How we doing, dude? Watched a bunch of football this weekend. No Ole Miss game to worry about, I don't guess. Just a nice little one-week reprieve. Yeah, it felt like a pretty long week. Uh, you kind of get into that routine of you know having the things that you listen to throughout the week and watch throughout the week to get prepared for whether it's an Ole Miss game or you know whatever you're cheering for, Saints, yada, yada, yada. And it, it really went by slow, 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 slow. So – Saturday, I mentioned this to you before we started. My wife and I have been very, very far behind on thank you notes uh, from gifts from the wedding and whatnot. So I basically just sat with a little desk set up in a chair and our TV, put on the multi-view on YouTube TV and pretty much watched football all day. Uh, and then I ended up ruining my weekend by watching the Saints be pathetic uh, here in Houston. Uh, we had We went up, set up a tailgate bought a parking pass, did the whole deal, and then we shit the bed, which I probably should have expected with the way Dennis Allen is, but uh, it was a pretty salty into what was a pretty enjoyable weekend uh, overall. Yeah, some pretty good college football on as well throughout the weekend, some good early matchups, then you get kind of the primetime West Coast game. Really the first time I remember being like wanting to sit down and watch a Pac-12 game in the middle of the day, usually that's reserved for like Pac-12 after dark or – I don't know. I remember there was a time or two where they did like a big noon kickoff. That was like 10 a.m. local time out there. But uh, Pac-12, pretty big moment for them. I guess we'll start, though, SEC-wise. Um, Alabama, Arkansas, there was a point maybe very early in that game. I was like, is Arkansas actually going to do this? And it was like, absolutely not. And then there was a point at the very end where I was like, oh, man, this this might happen. Kind of a weird game, a very typical Arkansas game. No Rocket Sanders. I feel like if they had a halfway – competent offensive scheme they might have found a way to pull that one off in the second half still outscored them 15 to 3 but just not quite enough when they had to have a drive at the end I was texting anybody who would listen wondering what the hell Sam Pittman was doing in the first half of that football game because that's where they lost this game uh first drive you know they, they get some movement they get down there it's like fourth and two and he kicks a 55 yard field goal of course their bazooka kicker with the last name little which is quite ironic uh, nails it. So stop Alabama again. They get in the exact same scenario. It's like fourth and two, fourth and three, and they kick another field goal. And I'm like, okay, like, I don't know what's going on here. And then they do it again. They get down there and they have like a fourth and three, fourth and four, whatever on the opposite uh, opponent's field, and they, and they punt it. And I'm just like going irate. I mean, of course, I have Arkansas on the points at 19 or whatever, but it was just an incredibly conservative play calling for a guy who's lost three straight games and for all intensive purposes is fighting for his job was just completely mismanaging this game. And it's not the first time he's done this. The way the LSU game ended was completely botched and mismanaged. I've questioned a ton of his decisions in the BYU game and they had their opportunity to kind of like really stake their claim in that game and put a shit ton of pressure on an Alabama offense that was doing absolutely nothing uh, until they had to, which has kind of been their their calling card this year. So pretty disappointing effort from Arkansas. Alabama figures it out like they've been able to. Milrow makes an unbelievable throw to ice the game after getting sacked for what was like the sixth time in that game. Um, really, really frustrating watching that whole thing go down uh, and a pretty odd result, but – 
It's one of those sleepy 11 a.m. games, Alabama looking ahead to Tennessee, Arkansas. As you would assume would have been a kind of like throw everything at Alabama game. They just didn't coach like that, which just made absolutely no sense to me. Yeah, kind of a bit in Sam Pittman's nature. I kind of got the like that kicker's pretty good kicker. He made that bomb when they almost went forward on the near side of the or excuse me, coming toward where I sit. I guess that wouldn't be the near far side of the field in the second half of the old miss game and then bring the kicker back out instead of lining up to go for it after a timeout. Kid bombs, he's got a massive leg. I get that on maybe the first try. Okay, your offense moved the ball a little. Let's get three points and kind of feel a little bit better about yourself. But to your point, after that, it was even more confounding because it's another field goal and then a punt. And at a certain point, you lost four games in a row. You were staring five in the face. What do you have to lose? I mean, you can go up a score Nothing. or even two scores on Alabama. What in what in the world do you have to lose at that point? And it felt like they were playing an inferior opponent that they were just trying to wait out and eventually wear down. And really the opposite was always going to be the case, even though they played better in the second half. I just didn't understand that either. What do you have to lose? No one's expecting you to win that game. You're like three touchdown underdogs almost. I just didn't really understand any part of it. And it's, you know, you talk about like in this week to week college football ecosystem of overreactions and whatnot it's hard enough to survive losing five games in a row but for him I feel like it's the way they're happening not just the fact that they've lost five in a row schedule as we talked about a ton sucks really brutal part of their schedule before things get easier toward the end but I just I didn't get it what does it matter just I mean (laughs) I'd go for it almost every time if I had to but I I didn't I didn't understand that at all yeah I mean the worst part about their stretch is that every single game they've had an opportunity to win and it's really been questionable game management in almost every single one of them. Uh, I mean, against Ole Miss, they had the ball, you know, on the seven yard line, it's third down and they run a quarterback draw to basically settle for a field goal that did absolutely nothing for them. On the LSU game, they went into the fourth quarter with no timeouts, zero, none. They had given up three already. LSU is in like a four-minute offense, and instead of letting them score and having an opportunity to win the game, at least make LSU screw up, they just try to stop them from a 20-yard field goal. It just made no sense. And then in the BYU game, they that's inexplicable if you've seen what the BYU team has been. So I think the writing is really close to the wall. Um, you could always play the silver lining devil's advocate that this is like an insane stretch. They've played the three best teams in the division and they've been incredibly competitive in all three of them, uh, all three being on the road, which, like we said, their schedule is just – it's so stupid and so insane the way it's set up for them. Uh, but they've lost them all, um, including AM, of course. And the potential – I'm not going to say sleeping giant by any means. I don't really think that's the case. But there's a lot of money there. Uh, it's being thrown around in basketball, been thrown around in baseball for years. Uh, football seems to be lagging behind. And I think it's going to take, you know, a pretty substantial effort in the second half of this season for him to keep his job because they're going to be playing Mississippi State this weekend. I don't know what time that game is. I can't 11. remember. Uh, it's going to be sleepy there, I would have to imagine. And that's really what begins uh, turning the wheels towards a firing is when you're playing an SEC home game after being on the week on the road for five weeks in a row and the stadium is like 60% full. Um, that's not no bueno. No, it's no bueno. And like, if you're Mississippi state on like the flip side of that, there's ever a game. If you can find a way to go punch one in the end zone on the first drive, and then it's seven, nothing. And all of a sudden half full stadium. First time they've seen the team in front of their own fans in a month. It's They're like, starting to cheer against their down. own team. You know, <laughs> it could turn on you quickly. 
Oddly enough, Arkansas is like a seven and a half point favorite in that game. I have some of the lines pulled up here. So that's a pretty interesting number uh, for a Mississippi State team coming off a bye, going on the road to play an Arkansas team at home. To be, you think it's the Mike Wright effect? Because it doesn't sound like Rodgers is going to play. I guess. Oh, it's already down to six and a half. So it's it's going. Yeah, it's going down and down and down. It sounds like Marks and Rodgers won't be playing. Uh, so that definitely has an effect on it. The way lines work, especially in college, and honestly, the way Rodgers has been playing, like he probably doesn't even affect the number at all. But it's like clusters of energy of um, injuries will do that. And maybe they've seen Arkansas and they believe that, like, hey, they've been really competitive in these games. And Mississippi State has been, you know, pretty uncompetitive against relatively similar uh, opponents. So I don't know. That that seems still like a lot of points for two pretty mediocre teams. Another case of a coach finding a way to lose games and not really just understanding a whole hell of a, a lot of what's going on is Tennessee uh, A&M. That game's right there for the taking for Texas A&M. They don't have any success running the football. And then a couple weeks after their defenses look pretty damn good, Arkansas, Alabama, back-to-back, it's like, okay, maybe they're kind of rounding into form, finding something here. Uh, they allow 230-something yards on the ground. Quarterback throws for a decent amount of yardage, but throws two picks. You lose the turnover battle. You average, like, less than two yards a carry, less than a yard and a half a carry. Um, I just – it felt right there for the taking for them again if they could ever just muster some offense in the second half and they did not score a touchdown after the fourth quarter and then proceeded to give up 230-something yards in the ground. Again, it's just inventing ways and finding different ways to lose games. I feel like all of a losses have looked, uh, you know, relatively different, and that's never really a good sign. And if they'd won this one, you're kind of sitting there thinking, okay, maybe they're still okay. You got some stuff to play for till the end. But uh, just another missed opportunity for Jimbo Fisher and the Aggies there is that situation is going to continue to get dicey. Yeah, all that included, not to mention they you know gave up a special teams touchdown. Uh, so it's not even like their defense gave up 20 points. They only gave up like one touchdown the entire day. Uh, but the offense is terrible. And Max Johnson holds on the ball way, way, way too long. And they can't get anything going. But they don't make it easy for him. You know, they're not – adjusting to anything having a backup quarterback in and playing to his strengths and that's what they brought in Bobby Petrino and they they brought in Jimbo Fisher to do is be quarterback people be offensive people and make it happen no matter what you see all around the country and I was listening to some shows this morning Kansas put up 35 points with a backup quarterback and their starting quarterback's a beast Arizona just went on the road to Washington State and beat them by 40 with a freshman starting backup quarterback Kansas State backup quarterback beat the shit out of Texas Tech it's not impossible and they are not unique to this issue uh and they've been worse and worse and worse in two games against Alabama and Tennessee that if they got competent offensive play they would have won both I 100% agree or believe that they would have won both uh if they had an offensive scheme that was in the 21st century if it was a 2023 offense and it's not uh they have way too much talent like truly they do with Noah Thomas and Evan Stewart and these three running backs and a decent offensive line. I mean, these days, decent is like a plus because there's not that many good offensive lines. Uh, and they just do nothing against the Tennessee defense that is definitely very good playing at home. But it was like you were under pressure. Milton was terrible in this game. 11 and 22 for 100 yards and a pick. Fucking awful. I mean, absolutely terrible. He's a total, just a dude, like absolutely just a dude, like just a guy, actually is what I meant to say, Jag, just a guy. 
Um, and look, it's hard to win on the road in the SEC. We've seen that. We'll talk about it here when it comes to Ole Miss and Auburn. But we're kind of grading AM on a completely different scale at this point because of what their expectations are, kind of what they've you know, shown up with over the last few years. No one really gave a shit that this was at Tennessee and it was going to be a difficult environment and they were underdogs. At this point, you have to start winning games. And, I mean, I just don't think this is going to end well for him this season. I think this is the kind of straw that broke the camel's back for him. Uh, they've got a pretty difficult stretch. I mean, 7-5 is staring him in the face. I kind of hope they win one of these flip games to go 8-4 and four, just for the storylines and the tweets. That'll be really enjoyable. When they eventually lose to LSU on the road in that last game, uh, it, it's done for them. I mean, we've got a, a war in the Middle East. OPEC is up about 8% over the last two weeks. They've got the money to do it. Uh, it's just a matter if they're going to pull the trigger, and I think that they will be doing so. I think they are going to also, and it's just – I mean, even toward the end of that game, they get the ball with like two minutes and 25 seconds left, and all of a sudden they're at like a – third or fourth down on their own 45 with like 20 something seconds left. It's like you move the ball a grand total of 20 yards in a couple minutes. It's it's like one of those instances where they have to play a certain way. And if that's not working for them, it's just not going to go very well. And so I'll be interested to see what kind of the storylines that come out of that over the next several weeks. Cause I think they do have a couple more losses coming, like you mentioned. And then Tennessee on the other hand, just kind of quietly laying in the weeds. They laid an egg at Florida. Seems like everybody lays one or two eggs a year. You do get that game at Neyland, Tennessee, excuse me, Georgia, uh, that Georgia game at Neyland. And, you know, Georgia's looked human. I wouldn't necessarily pick Tennessee to win that game by any stretch, given the quarterback play, but they're just kind of lying in the weeds, taking care of business in very nondescript fashion. But that's probably going to set up for a pretty interesting game. Now, granted, Tennessee probably not going to win over there in Tuscaloosa this coming weekend, but just very under the radar where last year it felt like they took the conference in the country in some ways by storm. They have a really good defense. It's something that they actually had last year that didn't get talked about enough because we watched that Alabama game. You're like, oh, my God, like these are two shitty defenses and two great offenses. But they've actually built a really solid unit over there. That James Pierce kid, Jr., who's oddly enough, he's like a true freshman or a redshirt freshman. I had never heard of him. He was wreaking havoc all day long against a and I think he had like four sacks by himself. He's an absolute dude. They've got some guys in the back end that are good. Um, th- their biggest issue is they don't have Hendon Hooker and they don't have Jalen Hyatt. Uh, these yep. receivers are not the same guys from last year. Uh, Milton is, I'm willing to say, like a legitimately bad quarterback. Uh, he doesn't run enough for as big as he is, and he can't complete the simple throws, which in this offense, if you can't hit them on the short ones, you're not going to get the opportunity to beat them over the top on the big ones. And they've just been completely out of sync on that side of the ball. Uh, all that being said, yeah, give some credit to Hypel for still winning despite that. Uh, I would not pick them to, to beat Alabama, but the way they've been playing defense, if they can get just subpar play from Joe Milton, they'll have an opportunity to because, you know, if they can somehow get up a little early, make Alabama scramble a bit, which under this newfound Jalen Milrow guy uh, that we've seen post-Texas, they just have not really had to worry about that. Um, so it'll be an interesting game. I don't think, like I said, I don't I'm not going to predict Tennessee to win, but their defense is absolutely stingy enough to uh, keep it close, kind of similar to what Arkansas and AM tried to do. Missouri, Kentucky, talk about a game with a bunch of bizarre swings and twists and turns to it. Missouri comes out, or excuse me, Tennessee, uh, Kentucky comes out and gets up 14 to nothing. 
And it was pretty uh, kind of old-fashioned beating. I mean, they forced a three and out. I don't think Mizzou gains a yard on the first series. Then uh, Kentucky takes it nine plays all the way down and scores. Mizzou throws a pick after getting their first first down of the game. Boom, another nine-play drive, another score. And they're like, oh, okay, like is Mizzou frauds? What are we? What is going on here? And then the rest of the game, I think it probably flipped there toward the end of halftime where Mizzou kind of settles in. Then they add a field goal. Kentucky doesn't the fake punt. The, the fake punt changed the entire game. I think so too. And that uh that that really felt like a, a backbreaker, as well as them scoring the touchdown right before halftime. Like yeah. it was right there. You have 15 seconds left, and then all of a sudden it's like, all right, can you stop them? Get a field goal, or are they gonna miss the field goal? And then all of a sudden the kids in the end zone, and all that's happened in the first 10 minutes of the game, and all of a sudden Kentucky's trailing at halftime. Yeah, Drinkwood's got some balls. I mean, that that fake punt call was, I mean, I guess obviously very well executed. They scored on it, but it was not your conventional fake punt uh, and completely flipped the script of that game. Um, they deserve a lot of credit for what they're doing on offense this year. Defensively, they still got a lot of holes, but offensively, I mean, they just give the ball to Luther Bird and it's kind of pretty simple. They just get it to him. Cook has been good to, I mean, and I'm not going to say great. He's been good to really good this year. Uh, he's done everything they need him to do. He's now that he's healthy, he's more mobile than he has been. Uh, I want to know who their offensive coordinator's name is. I can't think of it off the top of my head. But that guy's got to start getting some looks for some jobs coming up, at least some lower jobs or an upgrade or something. Because some of the stuff they do is really, really impressive. It's really complex. They've got some imagination. And they get the ball to their playmakers pretty consistently. They, they don't you know sugarcoat it. They don't fake you out. They just get their ball to the guys and they go. Kentucky, this is a tough, tough loss. I mean, they've – played two teams of better or equal caliber. You call Missouri equal if you want. Georgia obviously better, and they've just been completely manhandled in both. And that's just really been the story of Kentucky since Stoops has been there. I know we want to think of it differently. Uh, I mean, he's obviously an incredibly good coach. They develop players at a higher level than most programs in the SEC, especially considering where they usually are in the recruiting rankings and the guy they're, guys they're competing for. But when you put them up against a team with similar to equal or better, slightly better talent or much better talent, they just never show up. I still don't think he's won an SEC West road game as a coach uh, at Kentucky. And this is just another example of just not being able to get up uh, for a game with a team that they absolutely could beat at home coming off a bad loss. I mean, it's a great spot for Kentucky. It was basically a pick them going in. And they end up getting blown out. And I think they're going to have to start looking themselves in the mirror and be like, what What are we? What do we want to be? Are we going to be Iowa? Are we going to play games that way? Are we going to try to open it up and be a, a baby Georgia? Because uh, they're just identity-wise is just all over the place. Uh, and Devin Leary is not very good, which definitely puts a hamper in any of their plans and probably should have been the first thing we brought up. Uh, because that was kind of like their calling card, what they thought was going to be their advantage going into the season. And he has been worse than Will Levis was, which is saying a lot. Yeah, it really has. And like, it's just one year after year, they can't seem to get the quarterback right. And, you know, a week after you'd make the whole comment about, um, about, you know, hey, Georgia's got a bunch of better players. Like, but they were players they bought, basically kind of putting it on the fans to invest more money. Well, uh, that's not really what that's supposed to go toward uh, beating Mizzou. They're on equal footing to you. That that doesn't really apply there. And to kind of lay an egg, particularly after the first 12 minutes of the game, 
um, is is a tough look for Stoops and kind of seemingly for him hit a little bit of a plateau at Kentucky. And so I'm curious to see what that ends up looking like. I know there was some uh, Iowa flirtation a couple years ago. It doesn't look like at the time being for is going anywhere, but hey, maybe you never know. Um, but the, uh, by the way, Mizzou's offensive coordinator is Kellen Moore's little brother. So he was like a Jeff Tedford really? guy when they revived <laughs> that program was a holdover when Tedford resigned during COVID or whatever, for health reasons, they bring him back. And he came back the second time as the OC and kind of a sneaky, good offseason hired by Drinkwitz. That guy's done a hell of a job. So he was the OC at Fresno. Is that where he came from? Yeah. So he got on with Tedford. When Tedford took over in 2019, I think he was like a receivers coach or something. I read something about this guy not too long ago. And then Tedford resigns. He stays on staff. And then he becomes the OC when Tedford comes back in 2022. And they won yeah, 10 so, games yeah. last year. Pretty damn good. Hell yeah. He had Jake Hayner and those guys out there. I mean, that's a great hire. I mean, he, they do some really cool stuff. I only watched the highlights of that game this morning. They're kind of the ESPN 12-minute extended highlights. And they ran one of the sickest fake reverses on the goal line. Uh, where Brady Cook, you know, Burden's coming around, Cook fakes it to him. Literally four Kentucky players fall like they got crossed over in a basketball game, and he just strolls in the end zone. They do some really cool stuff, so good for them. I mean, Drinkowitz deserves a ton of credit. Despite being a huge dork who's hard to cheer for, they've recruited incredibly well, which has never actually been the issue under him. Uh, it's been winning close games, and they've done that um, – pretty much all year. And honestly, if they didn't give the ball to LSU three times, they absolutely could have won that game as well. LSU-Auburn goes about as I predicted. You still got kind of the, I think, very you know somewhat stubborn quarterback rotations. They're trying to figure that out with Thorne, and Ashford comes in for a handful of plays a game. And they just couldn't muster enough offense, and there's certainly not enough offense to stay on the field against LSU. I thought Kiffin in his uh, Monday press conference today got asked about, like, I don't know, some innocuous question about, you know, can you take a look at what LSU did to Auburn and try to implement that? He's like, man, LSU does that to everybody. They outgained them like 563 to 293. Auburn just can't move the ball through the air. They've actually been a pretty good rushing offense, which wasn't the case last year because no everyone knew they couldn't throw and the offensive line stunk. But, yeah. I mean, they just have no vertical passing game, and that's one of those things that I just don't really think is going to change in year one. This was very – I didn't catch a ton of this game. I was at a wedding at the time, but I, not, not much about this was very surprising to me. No, not at all. Uh, Auburn having to go on the road. Off of bye week, though, the way they started that game was really shocking. I mean, it looked like they hadn't even practiced. Uh, they were completely out of sorts for, you know, two quarters. And they finally kind of, like, settled in a little bit, got a few stops, got a turnover. But at the end of the day, it was just never going to be competitive. Um, LSU's offense is disgusting. Jaden Daniels has been damn near perfect uh since that Florida State game and I mean obviously they lost Ole Miss and he was still basically perfect except for that one fumble uh so they're going to embarrass a lot of people especially if you can't get off the field uh with them and I mean Auburn no, offensively they are not good but defensively they've been really stingy this year and LSU kind of just made them look silly uh especially after the half and honestly, it could have been a lot worse. Uh, LSU ended up with like two field goals and an interception in the red zone. I mean, it, they could have put up, you know, 58 instead of 48. Um, and we'll talk more about Auburn when you talk about what's come up with Ole Miss. But it, it's going to be hard to look at that and not think about that's what Auburn is. But that I'm sure it's going to be a very different test on the road for Ole Miss. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, 
and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We'll get back to Weldon in just a second, but before we do, I want to take a real quick break to remind you. This podcast is brought to you by Twisted Tea. Are you ready to elevate your college football game day experience? Check out Twisted Tea, your go-to game day beverage for college football fans. Twisted Tea is unlike any other hard beverage you've ever had before. It's made with real brewed tea and packs a flavorful punch with 5% alcohol and no carbonation, delivering the perfect balance of taste and refreshment that goes down smooth for every game day occasion. No need to settle for the usual. Twisted Tea turns up on any occasion, especially when you're cheering on your favorite team. Whether you're tailgating in the stadium parking lot, watching at a bar, or hosting friends at home, Twisted Tea is there to elevate your game day experience. It perfectly complements your love for college football and your passion for creating unforgettable moments. So let's toast to unforgettable game day experience. Twisted Tea, the drink that fuels and celebrates your love for college football. Keep it twisted. Podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Go see Greg if you're Rippy Wright subscriber. That's rippywrights.substack.com. You get a free newsletter from me and discounted meats. Right now it's three six ounce bacon wrap fillets for 20 bucks. It's about a $40 evaluation you're getting there for $20. Just go in, show Greg proof of subscription, tell him you know about the Rippy Rights newsletter. He'll get you set up and then go find all of your own favorites. It's the greatest butcher shop in the world. Incredible cuts of meat. I love the fillet burgers. All kinds of delicious sausages. The tri-tip is incredible. It's truly a gem of Oxford and a gem of the South. Check them out. LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right, back to Weldon. And then another night game that I hate, I missed a decent bit of. Looked like a wild one, Florida and South Carolina. I think I described this in Neil's picks as two just very, very pedestrian teams. And it looked like they played a pretty damn crazy game with two pretty good quarterbacks. You know, Graham Mertz has been fine. I thought Spencer Rattler's actually played pretty well. I just thought it was pretty wild. Florida only goes for 71 yards on the ground in this game. Um, but Graham Mertz kind of put the team on his back a little bit. They threw 48 times and they really just bested South Carolina on the road. None of this was really overly shocking to me. South Carolina turns it over twice. One of them in particular seemed to be pretty costly. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, Florida's now five and two and three and one. And my, how the narrative shifts when both regards South Carolina now two and four, one and three in the conference and Florida's riding the ship a little bit, even though they could probably do without losing in just inexplicably bad fashion, where it just looks like they get smoked and they're unprepared when they do lose. But, uh, you know, very up and down in Napier year two. 
I was very close to liquidating my Napier stock. Uh, <laughs> then I watched this game and I was like, ah, I'm going to hold on to it for just a little bit longer. He actually made some comments earlier in this week that were incredibly interesting about this game. They had not won a road game since he was there. And like they hadn't really been competitive in a lot of them. And he said he changed up a ton with their trap, the way they travel, the way they prepared for games. I thought that was super interesting and something that you wouldn't say if you didn't think he was going to like produce some sort of real dividends. Like you just wouldn't put that out there. And that line kept on dropping and dropping. And I was like, you know what? I'm going buck in the trend. I'm going to take Florida. South Carolina's defense is terrible. That'll open up some things. And that happened. South Carolina's defense is horrible. Uh, I actually did not see the end of this game because South Carolina looked like they were pulling away. It was like 37-27. And I turned over to, I guess it was Oregon and Washington and watched the end of that for obvious reasons. And then all of a sudden I look on my phone and, you know, there's that white receiver for Florida who's a stud in the end zone to win the game. I really don't even know what happened. I haven't really gone to look back. Uh, but it's a really big game for Florida. Nothing about that, you know, despite the kind of the craziness of the game was all that surprising. Uh, that including Shane Beamer blaming everyone but himself uh, for the loss in his post-game press conference. And uh, I told you that that, that shit was going to get really, really, really old really quickly once they started losing the whole bring the kids on the field, the family, the fun stuff. Like it was just a matter of time before they got punched in the teeth before people were like, this, this isn't that funny anymore, and I think that's coming a lot sooner than many anticipated in South Carolina. Spencer Rattler's been awesome. He has been far from the issue on that team. Uh, defensively, they are really, really bad. They're not even good special teams-wise, which is Beamer's calling card, obviously, with his dad being who he is. Uh, really bad loss for them, and they're looking at a non-bowl season when you look at some of the opponents they have coming up as well. And that's a pretty big step back from what last year was a pretty big step forward for them. So I'm not pressing the panic button, not really even pressing like the dialogue button on this one for Beamer uh, because they've recruited really well and have continued to. But at some point, you kind of have to take it a step up on the field. And I don't know what this team is going to look like next year without Rattler. Yeah, it's it's very funny that throughout the year, you know, South Carolina's been a bad team. You haven't talked about Rattler at all, and I figured that might actually go hand in hand, but he's matured into a pretty good quarterback. And I caught some of the end of this game, um, not the first part of it, but, I mean, it wasn't very cheap. I mean, it's just South Carolina scores a touchdown, go up 10 with like six, seven minutes left, somewhere around there. Florida just methodically drives it down the field. South Carolina was losing receivers left and right. Touchdown, punt, touchdown. That's kind of how the game ends. And they get a big pick when South Carolina's trying to rebound and that was just kind of it. They just didn't do enough offensively in a game where it ended up being kind kind of a shootout. And a big one for Napier in Florida because they only have two home games left. They got the cocktail party next week. Then they get Arkansas at home and FSU at home to close the year. I think the two road games are LSU and Missouri. So if you're trying to find one, I'm going to go ahead and rule out Georgia, but one to pick off in those last five games to get the bowl eligibility and feel like you got something okay going on, that was a huge, huge win for them. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't count out Georgia yet with Bowers being out. We just True. do not know what that offense is going to look like without him because we've seen it away from Sanford Stadium, um, and it's not pretty even with him. Uh, I wouldn't predict them to win that game, but it's a big step forward for Napier. It's a big step back uh, for Beamer. And, you know, you look at the way South Carolina's season has gone, and they lose that first game to North Carolina – and you're like, well, that was a weird game. They played terrible, and like, turns out North Carolina is actually really good. And they lose to Georgia, and you're like, well, they were pretty competitive for that whole game. Like, you know, they're doing some things. A pretty tough schedule. 
Uh, and then they lose this game, and you're like, golly, like this is just not what you wanted at home in a pretty, you know, usually a very awesome environment, pretty tough place to go play. It, it seems like Beamer has just had these games at South Carolina where these like inexplicable losses followed up by really incredible wins. And that kind of up and down, up and down gets old with fans because you just don't know what to expect. It's it's a very Hugh Freeze-esque mentality of like 14 and 15 that you win big games you lose shitty games up and down and up and down you have to find some sort of consistency even if that consistency ceiling is eight and four nine and three you kind of know what you're getting you feel like you have no idea what you're getting from that team year and week in week out with total opposite with florida you know what you're getting with them uh it may not you know win them games yet they're still probably working on that talent issue that dan mullen left them with but they've definitely got a process they're working with, which is we'll talk about it a ton this way. We get to landing the process and the results thing is just like Saban says it every week, every day to anyone who will hear it for a reason, because it's just not the results are not as important as figuring out what you're supposed to do. And eventually you have to win games. No one's going to give a shit if you talk about the, the process and lose a lot. Uh, but in Florida and Napier are starting to slowly figure out what they need to do on that side of the ball. Oregon, Washington, just a good football game. I left thinking one of the both of those teams are very good, and I don't know what the path to the one loss team is that comes out a loser in this game. Obviously, it ultimately just ended up being Oregon, but I just thought these were two good football teams, and this was a wildly entertaining game. Easily the best game of the day. Uh, was really really excited to watch this one. I've actually been to that stadium uh, in 2010. LSU traveled to play at Washington when Washington had like Jate Locker and those guys. We went with the family. Hung around in Seattle, went to the Boeing Museum and uh, Washington University, University of Washington, whatever they call it. Really, really cool campus. It's like kind of mountainous. It's beautiful. The stadium's right by the lake right there. They've got that, you know, sailgating similar to Tennessee, but honestly, it's way nicer uh, and it's way cooler. And, you know, it was a really, really cool environment. It's a hostile place to play and they've done a ton of renovations. It looks even better than it did guys it was like 12 years ago uh dating myself a little bit uh and it was a it was an absolute classic I mean it was exactly what you wanted out of two teams like they're taking risks they're playing you know they weren't even on clicking on all cylinders either team in the beginning but slowly but surely they figured it out and of course the dialogue's gonna come down to you know Dan Lanning and his decisions throughout the game and I mean I'll, I'll go into my thoughts I thought the First half going forward at the end of the half was not a great idea. I, I did not like that at all. I think you're fine kicking a field goal there. You know it's going to be a tight game. There, there's, I'm all for risking it on fourth downs, believe me, especially when I'm about to say about this next statement. But I didn't love that one. Um, the second fourth down call is 1,000% the right thing to do. I will hear no arguments to the contrary. I will, I will take your arguments and consider them unserious. I mean, it's just true. I mean, it look at even what happened after they missed it. They still had the opportunity because of the time out of time left and how quickly Washington scored to drive all the way down the field and have an opportunity to make a very makeable field goal. They missed it. Shit happens. He'll be judged for those decisions. But at the end of the day, you get three yards, you win the football game. Ask Washington what they have rather you done. Would they have rather you punted the ball there and give them an opportunity to score? Or would they rather you go for it and get three yards and possibly win the game? It, it's a no-brainer decision. There's really no black and white with it. It is no gray area. It's 100% you go for it and you win the game and you end the game. 
Uh, I will definitely question the play call. I mean, rolling him out to his left, nobody was open. It was weird. I'm not a fan of that. But the decision is just an absolute no-brainer to me, at least. Is it different if you're at home? Because I kind of am with you at the same thing. It's like, go ahead and try to end this football game and win it right then and there. Is the decision for you different at home? No, I don't think so. Not with the way the way Washington Washington plays offense. I mean, they scored in two plays. Odds are, if you punt the ball, this is not a professional punter. He's probably punting at forty yards, maybe in one play. You might be back to where you just were. So, no, I don't really think it matters. Home, road, whatever. He's talked about the way he approaches these games, similar to Kiffin, uh, and they, you know, they're very aggressive. They take a look at analytics, uh, yada yada yada. I hate that term and the way Kiffin uses it. Uh, but they're aggressive. They trust their team. They trust their players. And you go for it. You get three yards. The game's over. Done. Kneel it out. See you next week. It didn't work out for them. And even when it didn't work out with them, they still had an opportunity because of the way the clock was at to come back and send it to overtime and they missed the field goal. Uh, so it is what it is. Uh, you know, it's a double edged sword kind of deal. Uh, but I really don't even think it's that cliche. I think it's an absolute no brainer decision. What a division they have going there, whatever it is. Uh, excuse me, not um, sorry, I'm looking at the wrong conference, but I mean, that I don't think there's much of a shot you get the rematch with the way the Pac 12 is shaking out, but hey, maybe you do. And I don't know, if one of those teams ends up at the end of the year with one loss. That's going to be a fascinating discussion. Definitely is. There's a lot of really good teams in that conference, and it's all because there's just a lot of really good quarterbacks and a lot of really good coaches. I mean, it's it's not that, you know, it's pretty simple. They just have a lot of good players over there, which is, of course, we've talked about incredibly ironic, considering that that conference will not be existing <laughs> come next year. It's a pretty interesting farewell for them. And I mean, I sure hope we get a rematch because it'd be in Vegas. It'd be awesome. Neutral field. Uh, between two really, really, really good teams. I mean, those two teams, like, are <laughs> they're really good. You can consider Washington potentially the number one team in the country based on their resume and the way they've looked so far, and I wouldn't bat an eye. Oregon, you, they're still a top-ten team without a doubt. They obviously could have won this game and debatably should have, uh, similar to Texas and Oklahoma. So, I mean, I give those teams a lot of credit, two really good coaches. It was awesome. It was a, a classic. I mean, it really was. It was just really, really exciting to watch. Let's take a look at what Ole Miss has coming for the next week or this coming weekend. Games at Auburn. I think the line opened at five. I don't really know if it's moved much. I haven't Six and a half, according to my book that I'm looking at currently. Okay, so that makes a little bit of sense. I just, again, this is something we talked about. You know, we teased it a little bit last week when we talked, but it's one of those things where it's like, hey, if this becomes a normal football game, not really a circus, Ole Miss does. And I don't mean circus just by like what's said in the press conferences and stuff like that. I mean, like, does Ole Miss turn it over early and all of a sudden you've given – you know, a pretty inept offense, 10 or 14 points earlier in the game and something like that. But like equal footing, if Ole Miss kind of goes in there and handle its business, I think they're a much better football team than Auburn. Um, and I think they'll go in and win the game handily. Now, you got to add in all the other contexts. Hugh Freeze, first year, a place that Kiffin and Ole, excuse me, Ole Miss historically has not had a whole lot of success. Things got real weird real quick over there in 2021. All of those things would tell you that that five-point line is definitely correct. But, I mean, I guess if what I'm saying is if you played this game neutral field, I think Ole Miss wins by 7-10, to 10, but that's not the case here. And it's going to make for some very fascinating dynamics and test Ole Miss discipline, I think, a lot. And particularly their, you know, perseverance or resiliency, whatever you want to call it, early in the game. And I'm I'm fascinated to see how the first 18 minutes of this game shakes out. Auburn's a really hard place to play. Uh, that's without a doubt. They've they've been a completely different team 
there versus on the road this year, which is to be expected when you have a lot of talent deficiencies, but you have a lot of a fan base that's pretty excited about the future. Uh, I didn't really know what I was going to think about this game, and I was really excited to watch LSU-Auburn to see you know, what they looked like and, you know, kind of where they've gotten to at this point in the season. And they looked terrible. I mean, they looked completely lost. They looked poorly coached. They weren't even really playing hard. Um, it almost made me think that he was, like, literally looking over this LSU game, looking towards Ole Miss, which is insane to think, especially coming off a bye. But that was the only explanation I could make up in my head for the way they looked in that first half of that game. Uh, and all that said – this is not going to be an easy game for Ole Miss. Uh, I think six and a half points is probably a fair line, um, but I think it's probably going to go down to like four, three and a half towards the end of the week uh, because it's just a really hard place to play. I mean, you look at the history of Ole Miss and people think that means nothing, but just look at Tennessee and Florida and saw how that game went this this year and how it's gone every year they go to the Swamp. It, it's just this weird unexplainable mythical things about certain programs and certain teams and Ole Miss and Auburn, especially over there is absolutely in that category of unexplainable, you know, coincidences in college football. Um, I wanted to give them a ton of excuses, but just the way that Auburn looked against LSU, I really don't have that many. You're just a better football team than them. And like you said, if you can get over like a potential clown show in the media, and if you can just keep quiet, put your head down, and play well offensively and get yourself. I mean, if you score 28 points, I think you win this football game and you might win it convincingly. Uh, LSU's defense did not get that much better overnight. I can promise you that. They looked like shit against Missouri, too. Uh, Auburn's offense is terrible. Uh, their running backs are beaten up. I mean, Jarquez Hunter is like not really even their featured guy. They have a freshman Cobb kid who looked interesting. Receivers are fine and the quarterbacks are both really poor. They're athletic as hell both of them, oddly enough, but they're not very good. They don't make good throws down the field. They don't read the field well. Uh, their offensive scheme is, like, really, really bland with Thorne in the game, and it gets a little bit more dynamic when Ashford gets in because of what he can do, but, he, I mean, he's worse throwing it than Thorne is, and he Thorne's terrible. Um, it, you should be able to win this game. I'm not going to say handily because it's on the road in the SEC. It's going to be their big second biggest game of the year. But I was expecting to have, like, more excuses and more concern about this game going in. And I still do, believe me, I still do, knowing it's on the road and the way Kiffin has coached games on the road here. But just watching that offense, man, I mean, it's just going to be really tough for me to see Ole Miss, like, not having success in this game and winning. Yeah, I view it in a similar light as I did the Auburn-LSU. But, of course, Auburn gets it at home, and then the old LSU offense has just been clicking on all cylinders and probably one of the best, if not the best, offense in the sport. Whereas you actually look at Ole Miss and Auburn's defense. Ole Miss and Auburn have kind of been the same defense. Auburn's been out there a lot um, in terms of number of plays, but they've put together the same level of base production, really, against the run and the pass. So we talked about Auburn's issues offensively. Auburn averages 155 pass yards a game, which is – by the last of the their first there was their first game i saw this tweet on saturday throwing for over 100 yards against an fbs opponent this year that is unbelievable to think about. how bad is that <laughs> it's it, it, it's that how bad they're off is they're that bad and things are skewed particularly when you look at like league wide like baseline statistics particularly like you know halfway through the year because it's like all right how many cupcakes has this team played how many of their bye games or whatever you want to call it if they played but, I mean, when you're 
last in the conference and passing offense. And the next closest is 40 something yards ahead of you. And it's Kentucky who we just talked about their struggles throwing the football. It's, it's really, really bad. And I just don't know a whole hell of a lot you can do when you lack that much of a vertical passing game, really in any regard. And I thought it was telling, I think, I can't remember if it was post Cal. It had to have been post Cal game because that was one of the worst offensive football games are really just football games in general. I've watched in a long time that they never really batted the eye on the whole, like, is Asher going to take over and Thorn rotate in? And it was like the answer seemed pretty consistent. Has it been all year of Thorn has a better command of the overall offense where Asher does certain things well. And it's like, man, if you're four games in and that's still your conclusion, it's not, I'm not saying it's a wrong one. Clearly they, sure. they see something yeah. in him that they don't see in Ashford and it's born itself true, at least in the few times Ashford's been able to throw the ball. But if that is your option and that is what your gut and what is tell what everything is telling you, that's a real, real tough situation. Yeah. I mean, they're going to throw out so many different trick plays and weird formations. I mean, they're going to be throwing some serious bullets at Ole Miss in this game. That's an absolute fact. Um, it's going to end up being a kind of a strength on streak game at Ole Miss offense versus an Auburn defense. And, you know, like I said, you can't really look at that LSU game last week and take away much from Auburn's defense. LSU has done that to literally everyone they've played this year, um, especially on the road. I mean, Auburn has a good defense. They play incredibly hard which is why that game on Saturday was so weird where they actually like really didn't play hard. Um, that's kind of inexplicable to me. Um, they have a legit defensive line, no stars by any means that Marcus Davis kid or Marcus Harris kid is a really good player. Uh, they're pretty stingy against the run. LSU didn't have a ton of success with the exception of Jaden Daniels uh, on the ground. And even in the back end, you know, LSU's receivers are really good. Georgia Brock Bowers is a freak. Uh, but they have some real players back there with Simpson and Pritchett. Uh, they're just they're really solid overall in their defense. And it's going to be an interesting matchup, especially without Jordan Watkins. I don't care what Lane Kiffin said today. I mean, that's obviously nonsense. I I would imagine this kid is not playing on Saturday, um, which is a, it hampers your your offense. I mean, it really has. We've seen what this offense looks like without one of the pieces. It's not good. Hasn't been great. And going on the road against a team that you're probably not going to run the ball very efficiently against because you really haven't run the ball efficiently the entire year, except for against LSU, uh, is going to be a real challenge for Kiffin and this team. Yeah, it really is. And that's, I guess, the the, the news and notes or the number one no news nugget of the week is last week it's reported that Jordan Watkins potentially broke a bone in his hand in practice. And then Kiffin gets asked about it today and says he expects him to play. You had a Watkins tweet mixed in there. I know we've gone through this song and dance all year and like Kiffin, not always, uh, not always <laughs> forthcoming with the injury report, which he's coaches in college football. He has no obligation to be or anything like that. Not a nag on him by any stretch, but it's just, no. it's it's just funny. And I, I don't know what to make of it. Like if the report is true that he did break his hand in practice, that would seem very difficult to believe that he would play a football game, you know, less than two weeks later, really that's right around the 10, 11 day mark. I don't really know if anything to make of the Watkins tweet. It wouldn't remotely surprise me if Kiffin was like, hey, can you go put out a tweet to confuse people? Real Not quick? even a little bit would surprise me. Not yeah, it's so like I never know <laughs> what to make of it. I guess whatever Chris Lowe tweets out on Saturday, the opposite will be true. You will have your answer in inverse form uh, based on what Chris Lowe puts out. If he does that again, I will be just bamboozled. I will, I will have would no just word. be like, Chris Lowe, what are you doing? Like, fool me once, fool me twice, fool no me however many times. Like, what are you doing? Yeah, I unexplainable um i hope he doesn't for his sake that would be unbelievable we'll finish up with Weldon in just one second but before we do i want to take one more quick break to remind you 
This podcast is now brought to you by MC Speech Therapy. Has your child been diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder or another developmental disorder? MC Speech Therapy offers private speech therapy from the comfort of your own home. Other centers may leave you as the parent sitting in the waiting room. MC Speech Therapy enables parents to make every moment with their child therapeutic. Using a relationship-based framework, MC Speech Therapy can help your child engage, relate, and communicate. Mary-Claire Boudreaux's doctorate-level expertise and passion in helping children with communication difficulties offers articulation and language therapy, parent training, is, and is licensed to do virtual therapy across the state of Mississippi. With MC Speech Therapy, you and your family will gain a better understanding of your child while cultivating stronger relationships. For service today, call 903-824-8575 or email her at maryclaire at mcspeechtherapy.net. That is M-A-R-Y-C-L-A-I-R-E at mcspeechtherapy.net. All right, back to Weldon. To your point, though, if if he is unable to go, this is going to be a really fascinating test for Ole Miss because you've seen what Ole Miss offense has looked like at times without its top, I would say, receiver, most you know, higher, highest upside, most talented receiver in Trey Harris. But now this is a little bit of a different one. This is what do you do without your steadiest wide receiver and the guy who's on the field all the time and seems to be Dart, one of one of Dart's, probably Dart's still a top third down safety blanket, even though Priest Corn's oh, yeah. kind of getting back in the mix there. And just kind of your most veteran presence at receiver i mean this is a little bit of shades of uh 2021 where drummond leaves the game early against auburn and i know i've used this example probably too often but it ended up being you know a guy or two and then like oh my god i'm having to look up on the roster who these other guys are there oh, yeah. the jacksons that we love to talk about for a couple of years like who in the world is catching passes for them they're not in that dire straits i don't think by any stretch i mean aiden williams has played some you've gotten caden lee out there some you know you get a caden Priestcorn back and healthy almost didn't have much of a tight end threat uh, at that point in 2021 at all. So it's not apples to apples comparison, but you're going to go into a night game in a hostile road environment and your most seasoned wide receiver is not going, maybe is not going to be on the field. I don't want to step over myself here, but if he is unable sure. to play, that's going to be a massive test for them. And I'm curious to see how that changes their offense, because to me, it's a little bit easier to see with not having Trey Harris on the outside and what he's able to do. I don't have as clear an idea of what they want and won't will and won't be able to do and like where the loss of Watkins will hurt. Is it simply just a possession receiver? I, I don't know what that's going to look like, but I'm fascinated to find out. He's really more been more than a possession receiver. I mean, he's been their home run guy, which is, I mean, when you're trying to get big plays, they've kind of struggled in the red zone. He's been a guy to be able to take it to the house. And then a pretty underrated part of him is he's been your punt returner. What's that going to look like on the road? Who's going to be back there returning punts, catching punts? Uh, that's another thing you have to look for with him out. Because um, even if he does somehow play, there ain't no way he's catching punts with a very injured hand. What would uh, your now, guess be? Bentley? Bentley or Wade, I guess. Wade's maybe. probably Wade. I didn't I, I would imagine it'd be probably Wade. Oversight. Um, I don't know what this offense is going to look like without Watkins in the slot because we have not seen that uh, for the last two years. He has just been that steady presence there. My guess is you're moving Wade inside and then having some sort of combination of Aiden Williams. Uh, we're going to start using the ghost of Zachary Franklin like we used to use the ghost of Jalen Knox. Uh, he mentioned Braylon Brown's name for the first time at a press conference, which was kind of bizarre. So maybe that's something we might see. Uh, or Caden Lee plays a lot more. He's been kind of a guy that's taken over J.J. Henry's spot as that kind of backup, gets your three or four snaps uh, in there. And I know maybe this is the weird game where they put Bentley out there a little bit more. I have no idea what to expect, uh, but it's a concern. They, they've really struggled offensively in the past game when one of their three guys has gone out. 
Uh, and playing a defense like Auburn, I mean, they're going to be man up on you. You're going to have to win one-on-one battles against guys that are pretty darn good corners and safeties. And I, with the exception of Trey Harris, I'm not sure these other guys are capable of doing that. We sure as hell haven't seen it from anyone besides Watkins or Harris so far. So I don't really know what to expect. I, I don't expect a lot of success on the ground, um, which is you know saying a little bit more about just Ole Miss's offense and how they've rushed the ball this season more than it is some dominant Auburn uh, defense. But it, it's going to be very interesting. It's a really big loss. Uh, one that, you know, shouldn't affect, affect a point spread or anything like that. It's college football. That doesn't matter. Uh, but one that's going to affect the efficiency of this offense, which has been really their best part. They haven't been as explosive. They've really been efficient in times they needed it, and they're losing their safety blanket. So I it, maybe it's more Jackson Dart run. I don't know. But I am pretty concerned about this. I guess the most Pollyanna view of it you could have is this is what you got Zakari Franklin for. And with the bye week, whatever his health situation is, this is it. If, I, again, I don't pretend to know what his health situation is or where he's at. I see it. Exactly. And so, like, I guess it, but it would feel like a now or never thing from that standpoint. And so it, it's going to certainly be fascinating. And then you look at the Auburn side of it, it's. Ron Roberts has just been good everywhere he's been as a football coach. A little fun fact here. It may have been written about or reported before, but uh, Ron Roberts was actually Pete Golding's defensive coordinator, I believe, for his last year at Delta State. And I think at one point, either in 2010 or 2011, I'll have to go back and look it up, but it was head coach Ron Roberts, defensive coordinator Dave Aranda, and position coach Pete Golding. That, that team correct. probably played okay on defense, don't you think? They're probably fine. That is correct. Yeah, they they told that story a few times about those guys. They know each other very, very well. And I think Aranda and Golding at one point were like roommates uh, as like GAs at, at Delta State. So, yeah, they're probably playing pretty good defense over there. With yeah, those he's just guys. a – Old veteran defensive coordinator that's been good pretty much wherever he's gone over the last decade or so. It'd be a Baylor. I think Ole Miss faced him in the Sugar Bowl. He's just oh, yeah. been a very good DC pretty much everywhere he's gone. And I don't know. It's going to be a fascinating chess match on that side of the ball. I mean, it's a, I know we talked about this before, but like Jackson Dart's made more sound decisions. He's been better, uh, really just not having the one or two WTF throws a game. Uh, that's going to come at a premium in terms of importance in this game, because I think the way you allow an Auburn team to really feel like it has a chance to win this game is not only if the offense is struggling early, but you give them a short field or two, you have a bad decision, a fumble or something like that. I think quarterback decision-making, particularly for the first two and a half quarters of this game is going to be massive. Absolutely is. You can't have momentum swing against you over there in this game with a team that's kind of down their luck right now. They're going to be up for it. That's without a doubt. They are going to be up for this game. Uh, and Dart's going to have to play really well. I know a lot of people have made kind of comparisons to he's going to need a, a Matt Corral Tennessee game. And I don't even think it needs to be that dramatic. Uh, I think 27 carries from the hell it ended up being. How that ridiculous night. that game was um, for Corral over there. But it's going to be a similar kind of environment. Uh, I think that Tennessee team is much better than this Auburn team. But that doesn't really matter. You know, it's every given Saturday instead of every given Sunday. Things change. Things happen. He's going to have every single bullet on offense prepared. Uh, and you're going to be ready for it. And this is just such a massive game in terms of Ole Miss's relevancy and any sort of playoff talk. And even more than playoff talk, just kind of where this program is going, you have to get over this hump. Because then you get, a you know, basically a bye week before you get two really important games. Uh, but you have to get past this one. And getting past this one is is really more than just winning a football game. It's kind of asserting yourself in the West. It's beating Auburn two times in a row for the first time in however many years, which is still crazy. 
Uh, to me, I think it's like the 40s. I know they haven't played as many as other teams, but still, I mean, it's a long time. Uh, and then, you know, you're just in the conversation for much longer if you win this game. You're in the West conversation. You're in the you know, SC Championship conversation. And, you know, maybe it's a long shot, but you're in the playoff conversation. And that's kind of where you want to be in a, a year that we thought that was kind of be a rebuilding year. Uh, this is a massive, massive game and a team that they should beat. And if they end up not, we're going to have to have a lot of conversations because they're just simply a better football team than Auburn. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's, I mean, to, I guess the simple way to put what you're talking about, if you win this game, you'll enter the final month of the season in the conversation for the playoff and everything. Because with respect to Vanderbilt, you know, if, if they, nope. we're talking about a loss or a barn burner to Vanderbilt, maybe we're having a much different conversation on this show. But you win this game, you'll enter November with a couple of huge games against Texas A&M and uh, Georgia and then, you know, ULM and State sprinkled in between. But the point being is you will get there with everything still in front of you. I don't know what the West standings will look like at that point, but you will be relevant for the first two and a half months of the college football season by that point. Uh, yeah, that A&M game is what, uh, fourth week, fourth day in September? Yes, yeah, excuse me, November, I can't think today. Yeah, it's November 4th, same, same, yeah, November 4th. And those, you set up for those two huge games back-to-back, assuming you get past Vandy. So it's it's a huge uh, kind of launch pad game for Ole Miss and for an Ole Miss team that hasn't been on the road in quite a while. It's been three weeks. It'll be almost a month before uh, between road games for Ole Miss. So I don't know. Going to be fascinating stuff. Is there? I'll close with this. You've mentioned 28 points. Ole Miss probably wins the game and wins the game comfortably. I would certainly agree with that. Is there another number that sticks out? If you're like, hey, if you told me this, I would know a lot about this game and Ole Miss's chances of winning it. Uh, if Judkins has over 100 yards, I like or, that. I'm not, I, you know what? Not even 100. It's called 85. If he has over 85 yards, I'm pretty confident in this team. Yeah. I think that would be the other number I would look at. And part of it is because of what Bentley's given you. If you have Judkins at 85 and then whatever Bentley's pretty consistently given you all year, plus whatever you can get from Dart in the running game, you likely did not struggle running the football a ton that night. Correct. Exactly. I think that that's going to be the most important thing. If you can be efficient on first down, stay in front of the chains and really keep, you know, keep the pressure on Auburn and have to score. Because I really like the Ole Miss's defense matchup against this Auburn team. Uh, they don't really have receivers that scare you. Uh, they don't really have running backs that scare you. And they don't have a quarterback that scares you. Really, the only thing that scares me is Freeze's bullshit. Uh, that's I mean, that, that is the scariest part about this game. And then you know, the Jordan hair Jesus. Those are the only things that scare me about this Auburn team. And if you're able to rush for 85, 100 yards with your best player, if you score 27, 28 points, I think you're going to come out with a win. You know, it might be squirrely. It might be a difficult one. I would be legitimately shocked if they went in and blew them out. That that would be very surprising to me. Uh, it will probably be more difficult than that. But I think they absolutely should win this game. If the former of what you're talking about is the case and Ole Miss goes in there and just kind of blows the doors off of them, wouldn't that be yet another chapter of the conversation about like the maturity and focus of this team? Because I think that actually would probably be a fairly surprising result to me if you made me rank the three of like, you know, win, loss, blowout, win, whatever. I don't think Ole Miss, I don't think Auburn has the capability to blow the doors off of Ole Miss in this game. I, I think, think so. you lose. It's like a painstaking one where it's like, how in the world did, did this yeah. happen type of thing where you, uh, Auburn, Jesus, all those less tangible things that you had talked about. But that would be, I think, just another conversation about, you know, wow, this team came in there pretty locked in, pretty focused, handled their, you know, handled the benefit of a bye week 
and really didn't change a whole lot. And so I don't know. It's going to be a fascinating one, and I'm curious to uh, see what the conversations are on Sunday when we speak again. I'm looking at the soccer corner. We got another English Premier League break. What the hell happened? No soccer? No soccer. Uh, Still in the Euro qualifyings right now for uh, the European Cup or whatever it is, Euro 2024-25. So I don't think they come back until this weekend. So is that just another one of those country things I don't understand? Is it a bunch of European teams that will lift the trophy at the end? So, I mean, it's the same thing. as It's the World Cup, but just for the European teams. So they've had World Cup qualifiers have been taking place in South America. And then European Cup qualifiers have been taking place in Europe. So they all have their same eight groups. They play every single time and they qualify to get into the Euro Cup, which is a, it's an awesome tournament. It's honestly, and, and people won't, it's better than the World Cup because every team is just damn good and it's always takes place in Europe. The environments are cooler. It's more, it's more of a homegrown kind of tournament. Whereas the world cup has turned into this just mass hysteria of money and bullshit. Um, And they actually just awarded the world cup to the, to the countries in 2030. It's just going to be a complete disaster. Uh, The Euro cup is really, really cool. I mean, it was the Italy and England game two years ago that was in Wembley which was just an incredible, incredible game that Italy ended up winning. It's a lot more fun, and there's just so much talent, and there's new talent. It's a really the qualifier is actually really fun to watch, um, and then you get to see new teams kind of come in and out. You kind of pick your underdog favorites, uh, and it's a, it's a cool tournament. So we get back to Premier League, I think, on Saturday. One huge note I missed. Sorry, old Miss Wise, before you get out of here, I'll probably okay. change the order of the pod. Here is a. <laughs> The start of the week, I had this in big, bold letters and somehow just looked everywhere under it. Quiet start on the Ole Miss front. He got asked a question on Monday directly about what's your relationship like with Hugh Freeze. And he gave the, I appreciate him for the way he handled my brother when he worked for him, haven't been around him a ton, certainly impressed with what he's done. The the between the lines non-answer to, I actually thought was a very good crafted question because yeah. if you'd have gotten more specific with it, you wouldn't have gotten an answer. And he just said, what's your relationship with Hugh Freeze? Did not take the bait. I'm checking his Twitter, nothing off the rails there. It's no. a, on both sides. Few freeze too. I didn't notice anything uh, inflammatory, a quiet start to the week, which makes me think a lot of this will happen either in between the 60 minutes, you know, on the playing field, or maybe this will end up being much to do about nothing because the whole perceived beef seemingly happened behind the scenes in the first place. Not like the first chapter of this played out in the open. I don't know exactly, but I think that if you go back to the press conference before the Liberty game last year, Kiffin gave maybe word for word the exact same answer he gave. Oh, today. I'm going to have to look at this now. Because he talked about his brother last time, too. And I was like, I think that's the exact same answer he said last year. Or was that two years ago when they played Liberty? Um, this was something that we actually did talk about, I think, two weeks ago going into this game. was like, was Kiffin going to be able to treat this game and treat Hugh Freeze and whatever did or did not happen throughout that whole coaching search? Was he going to be able to leave it off online, uh, off Twitter, off whatever? And so far, which is more than we can say about Alabama, he has been able to do so. Um, so that is definitely a positive. Uh, I think he understands how big a game this is, where they're at. For whatever reason, he cannot do that against Alabama. But I think knowing going on the road, having coached in that stadium, having coached against Freeze, like this is not going to be an easy one. And if we coming off a bye like, aren't prepared and I'm not prepared, we will lose. Um, so I'll give him at least credit for these first 24 hours this week for kind of keeping that on the down low. And, of course, it doesn't have any effect on the game. I mean, it really doesn't, despite what we want to think. It just makes it much, much worse. 
if the outcome is not what we want. Um, but I was about to say, all it affects is the perception afterward. It can 100%. certainly slant that. It just doesn't affect much within the game. No, not at all. Not at all. He is Walden Rodenberg. I appreciate the time, my dude. We'll check in with you on Sunday. And uh, as I say, almost every week now, I have a whole hell of a lot to discuss, I imagine. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited for it. All right, that's going to do it for our show today. Appreciate Weldon's time. As always, got a couple more great podcasts loaded for you later on in the week. Thanks for listening to this show as always, and we'll talk to you here real soon. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.